Welcome back to the most hated effort, episode number 12. What is money shame with my guest, Natasha Knox? Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the most hated effort podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F word. Please note, this episode was recorded in the beginning of May of 2020. I'm excited for you to hear my conversation with Natasha Knox. Natasha is a fee-only financial planner, a speaker, and a financial educator. And does she ever educate us on this episode? She talks a lot about her personal life. And a few things that I want to bring up is she talks about what is money shame, how it's impacted her, and how it could potentially be impacting us. How do we find aspirational spending? I love this idea. Look forward to hearing your thoughts on it. The third one is how her and her family have created a family vision for their money and their life. Fourth, the importance of effective communication for her and her spouse. And finally, the three U's. You'll like this one. It's a great tool. Again, that's the three U's. Thank you, Natasha. And I hope you enjoy this episode. All right. Welcome back to the Most Hated F Word podcast. Today, I'm delighted to have Natasha Knox on the show. Natasha is a speaker, a fee-only financial planner, and a financial educator in Vancouver, BC. Natasha has always had a belief that education is important. It's something that she does with her clients every day and something that she relentlessly pursues for herself. She has a CFP designation, which is a Certified Financial Planning designation, a Graduate Certificate in Financial Therapy from Kansas State University, and she's also a Certified Cash Flow Specialist, to name a few. In addition, Natasha serves on the board of directors of the Financial Therapy Association, whose mission is dedicated to the integration of cognitive, emotional, behavioral, and relational and financial aspects of well-being. Finally, Natasha owns and operates a fee-only financial planning business called Pax Planning in Vancouver. Natasha was highly recommended to me to be a guest on the show from our previous guest, Ed. So with that, Natasha, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sean. I'm delighted to be here. Oh, well, I'm happy you decided to come. So, Natasha, my first question for you is you have some training around financial therapy. I know your background is a financial planner, but I feel like you're combining two things that people really don't want to talk about. <laughs> and you don't hold yourself, to hold yourself out as a therapist, we were talking beforehand, but there's some techniques. So you're using therapy with finances, two words that make people want to run. That's why I call this the most hated F word. Now, as someone who's trained in, in financial therapy through Kansas uh, State University, can you explain to us who financial therapy is? I think it's got a big taboo a negative connotation almost attached to it. So who is this financial therapy for? Financial therapy is for anyone who wants to uh, feel and act better around. <laughs> that, that's the best <laughs> definition I've heard. That's so true. <laughs> so if there is like some aspect of a person's relationship with money that, that they want to address that they haven't quite been able to crack on their own, mm-hmm. that would be who it's for. Okay. 
So while I was doing some reading about your background, I discovered a statement you put, and maybe you didn't specifically say financial or techniques of financial therapy change your life, but I feel like it may have. And I'm going to talk about a specific thing that you talked about where you felt that, actually, I have a quote here that I'm going to read from your website. So I think this is going to resonate with many people because I think we all have an element of this money shame that you speak of. So this is from your bio or your about me on your website. The shame of my personal reality, especially considering my career, was steadily eroding my sense of self-worth. So what did I do? I overcompensated. I put a facade on. I spent more. This only made things worse, of course. So I bring that up because you, in, in your about section, you talked about being a financial planner, but yet you still have these overspending tendencies that gave you this money shame. So my question for you is, can you speak about money shame and your experience with it? Yeah. So um, money shame lives in the dark. It, it's something that is like a dirty secret that you know I didn't want to admit to anyone. You know, like, it's not something that can live when you shine a light on it. The The problem that I was having is that I had some huge blind spots. You know, I didn't even, I wasn't even aware that what I was experiencing was money shame. I wasn't aware that my experience wasn't unique, you know, and that I wasn't the only one who had, you know, had these kinds of struggles. I I wasn't even completely aware that I was overspending because, you know, I live in my head, right? Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of baggage that I had with me that I had never unpacked, never even looked at to consider whether it was true, whether this was a universal truth or, you know, something that may have been true in childhood but was no longer true or maybe wasn't even true in childhood. I just... Mm -hmm had these assumptions that I set store by and lived my life by. And, um, you know, it was, it was disastrous. A couple things you say here. First off, I like how you say it lives in the dark, but when you shine light on it, it shame it has a hard time living. And the other thing that I want to point out is you said, I wasn't even aware of it. And I think that's so true for many people where Based on research and my readings is money shame doesn't discriminate. It's high income earners, low income earners, different backgrounds. There can be elements of this money shame. So maybe can you just speak to us? Like, what were you feeling and how did you get to a point to actually identify it being like, oh, this is perhaps money shame. And so basically you said unpack. Maybe can you explain what unpacking is for yourself and how you started to go through that process. Because I think this overspending thing is just so universal for so many people. And I think so many people are, like you're saying, is really we're unconscious that we're doing it, but there's something living below. So, Yeah. Oh, golly. Where am I going to start? Well, <laughs> so I'm a person who lives in my head. Being connected to my body is something that I've had to relearn. Mm-hmm. So recognizing, you know, the um, unpacking, there, there are different parts for me to unpacking. Mm-hmm. First of all, was to even increase my emotional vo- vocabulary, to be able to name what it is that I was feeling, like to, to even be able to recognize it. And for me, money shame is connected with a physical sensation. 
you know, so obviously you can't see when I'm blushing, but I can, (laughs) (laughs) I can feel when my face gets hot. Okay. Yeah. And there's sort of a low lying level of dread, right. That I feel in the pit of my stomach. Mm -hmm. So that's what it feels like to me that, um, you know, and I I wasn't even aware that I was having these sensations. So the the sensation would sort of come up and I would just sort of act on it without, you know, there was no thought. It's just, you feel the sensation, you act, you continue on. So, so that was part of it, part of even recognizing that that is what I was uh, experiencing. But then part of it was, so what I talk about unpacking is really looking at, okay, so where did this shame come from? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, obviously, if, mm-hmm. if, you know, my professional life and my personal life are out of alignment, like there are some obvious reasons, but I didn't get to that point of misalignment without some deeper reasons. And it was sort of shame, actually, among other things that were driving that. And that sort of goes back to, you know, um, my experiences of growing up Okay, so I grew up in a small northern town yeah. in Alberta, mm-hmm. and uh, like it was a very small town, and uh, so my mother is a professional, and uh, she was a single mother, and so, you know, this was in the uh, early 80s, you know, I'm 45, so I grew up in the 80s, 90s, was sort of like formative years, you know, it was a pretty racist place to be, mm-hmm. so there was this uh, sense of having to be perfect, you know, this sense of having to project an image of perfection because, you know, everything had to look good. So I did really well academically, thankfully. So that was easy. I never really fit in, whatever. But there were um, some attitudes that I sort of just absorbed around why it's important to project an image. And really what I was fighting against was some of the worst stereotypes that people have around people of color. And so like on some level, I was unconsciously like a one person task force of trying to make sure that in no area of my life did I ever fit in to Mm. any of those negative stereotypes. So, you know, I sort of developed these attitudes that, you know, there was no greater uh, deficit of character than to be cheap. Yeah. Right. Like, like that would be like the worst thing. Mm -hmm a person could be, would be to be cheap, you know? So around that, I ended up with like some really heavy duty boundary issues right. when it came to my money and overspending on experiences or gifts or going out, even something as simple as the phrase, I can't afford it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I was living in my head. So that simple phrase, you know, for the longest time, I did not realize that that phrase doesn't mean for other people what it meant to me. Right. Like, so some people just say, I can't afford it. And really what it means is I have a lot of money and I don't want you to know that I have it. So I'm just going to say, I can't afford it. Or it might mean this is not in our budget because we're saving for something or it might just be, you know, like it could mean so many different things. For sure. Yeah. For me, I can't afford it was loaded with like, I am a failure. I am, you know, like I cannot allow people to know that I cannot afford something. Therefore, I must appear that I can afford to do this because of my personal baggage. Mm -hmm. You know, like it took me until adulthood to realize, you know, that there, there was a middle ground between 
you know, cheap. <laughs> you know, overspending. You know, yeah. there was a phrase like there was a phrase that like changed my life. That someone was telling me that her husband, she noticed when they were dating, that he was always careful with his money. I was like, oh, careful with money. What? You know, like, like this just blew my mind. Like, I know it sounds ridiculous, but no, it blew no, my yeah. mind that, that this was an attractive quality, that this was, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that this was actually a positive thing, that, that there was this new framing, you know, um, yeah. that could be had. I really straight. I should have warned you. <laughs> you might have been guest that no, I just... No, 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 this is perfect. So much good stuff. That First off, thank you for sharing and being open and it's so true that these are environments or money stories that were grown up like social learning just by watching and based on your experience the thing that i'm really taking away from this part is like the symbol symbolism of money whereas you said like that money statement i can't i can't afford this means so much or so is so different for everyone based on our upbringings and for you so i'm curious what what did it mean to you I don't think I really heard it when other people said I can't afford it. Like, like I didn't, I wasn't even noticing, you know, so I was cherry picking what I would listen to. Yeah. So, you know, that, that awareness came later, but you know, in my twenties, um, I don't think that I really had much of an awareness of other people saying I can't afford it. So I would just turn a blind eye to that. Right. And right. just focus on, you know, if someone asked me to do something, I would find a way Mm -hmm. or, you know, if there was, you know, any event, I would be there, Mm -hmm. you know, question for you in that, in those circumstances, who would you go there for yourself or the other person? It was all about belonging. Mm -hmm. Right. So money for me was a big part of my misuse of money Mm -hmm. was an attempt to belong. And was fear-based that, you know, if I did not misuse money in this way, that there would be a rejection, you know, that I would no longer be invited or that I would, you know, be cast out. Right. So did you find yourself trying to be like, not be rejected and say, spending your money on something or going to do something that maybe is beyond your financial comfort zone, but then after dwelling on it? No. No. That was the problem. That was the problem. Like I did not have that uh, that that link between my money behavior yeah. and like my situation. Like I, I it it sounds, you know, it, the, this is where that lack of awareness. Like the, this okay. is where I have this major major blind spot because mm-hmm. my overspending is not and never really has been obvious mm-hmm. if you look at my stuff. Right. right, like, like it, it was never really about stuff. That said, there was a uh, going back to the same image, different things. I will go without for years indefinitely, but then my other way of overspending is if I am going to do something, I'm mm-hmm. probably going to be having to fight against a desire to do it really well. Oh, okay, <laughs> so and, and I think like this is certainly something that a lot of people that I've talked to is. I don't think unique to you is in the sense of like, 
sorry, how you got there is unique to you because that's how you got there. But the link, the not having a link like you're talking about is in a lot of conversations I have with people, they're just like, no, I have to do that. Or I have to do this. Or I need this car. I need this house. And they don't understand, or I guess they haven't contextualized, or maybe there is none, but they haven't seen that there's not a link between maybe the like this frustration that they always feel or this maybe negativity they feel can be linked to this overspending. So I guess at what point, and I certainly don't think there's one point in time that you could have been like, ah, I'm an overspender. <laughs> but how, how did you start to get to that phase to start drawing that link in a little bit more? Or I guess, how did you discover you were an overspender? It was a process. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like it's, it's, and, and it still is a process. Like it'll, it's not, there is no end point, mm-hmm. but I think, I think when I became aware of the extent of choices that I was making, like I, I really lacked awareness of just how much choice and just how much agency I really have in my life and how I'm making choices every single day, mm-hmm. you know, about what I eat how, you know, how we raise our kids, like what, what kinds of activities they're going to have or not have, how they're going to dress or not dress, like what is, you know, and um, developing an awareness of, you know, even things like education, mm-hmm. right? Like that is something that is a very dangerous thing for me. So if someone tells me that this is educational and good for the kids, like, oh, here's my wallet. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean I've really benefited from the um, education that I had growing Uh up one provided for me and again this was something that I was not even aware was a choice that I was making I just you know tried to copy except she had one child and lived in a low cost of living area I live in the greater Vancouver area and we have four children so wow four Um, so there's a there's a blog post that you shared with me that I read that I want to talk on that you, you I guess I'm going to talk about the blog post. You talked about aspirational spending. Oh yeah. And I want to get your take on first off explain what that is, but also link it to that comment you just made if it's for my kids education or education for my kids sure take it. And I think that falls in line with your aspirational spending. But maybe if you could talk about us what aspirational spending is and but then how do we differentiate aspir- aspirational spending versus like Ah, I really want to do this for my kid and it's a good decision. So aspirational spending is, uh, or what I'm calling aspirational spending, <laughs> made up term, yeah. is when you spend in advance of, like it, it's connected to the person you want to become in some way, mm-hmm. but instead of actually doing the work to become that person, um, someone who's prone to aspirational spending will just, go ahead and spend on right. it. So, you know, oh, I, I think, you know, I want to like take up dance classes again. And, you know, so go out. Oh, well, I need new dance shoes. Oh, <laughs> and I need new outfit. You know, might not have actually signed myself up for the classes yet. Yeah. Right? Like may have not even, or may just impulsively sign up for the classes, but not you know, done the work to make sure I can actually get through a class or (laughs) done the work to make sure I have childcare sorted out. Yes. You know, like, so there is that sort of impulsiveness of spending to become the person that I want to be. Right. Right. Instead of like doing the work to become the person that I want to be. 
so much like the uh, video or MP3 audio that I have from a conference that was dubbed to change your life that I just went to and threw in my desk drawer. Right? <laughs> I feel like that would be aspirational spending according to your definition. I have a few of those. I think, I think many of us do. I, um, I found myself on Craigslist recently, almost, you know, doing some, some aspirational spending and had to dial it back, you know, so we're all sort of at home. I have the blackest thumb. Like I cannot, like, it's amazing. Like that I am able to grow children better than I can grow plants. But <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, Oh, I'm going to have this wonderful vegetable garden and I'm going to do like these things. I'm looking at these cedar planters, you know, planting spots. There's no, there's no spot in our yard. <laughs> there's no spot that is like you know where i'm going to put this you know like i i, I can't you know <laughs> we have one planter that's already there that's full of weeds but i wanted to buy the planter i didn't thank goodness because i yeah. recognized oh oh yes oh hello aspirational spending there you are right we ended up just doing some weeding and uh, using the planter we had. And that, that's it then, hey? <laughs> it's funny you bring it up right now because my wife and I, we, we like to travel and travel's pretty limited right now. And uh, we, we started talking about camping and I've been camping like three times in my life. Maybe she's been camping four times at most. And we're like, well, let's rent a camping unit. There's a site that like says it's clean as per the uh, health guidelines. So we're like, sure. So we were going from renting and we're like, wait, our vehicle can't pull it because we're not campers. And uh, this morning I'm driving. I'm like, wait, maybe we should, because we have two young kids. I'm like, maybe we should buy this for the kids and just buy used, like a very old trailer. I can upgrade my vehicle to one that can pull it, but I'll, I'll still buy an old, I like old, my vehicle's quite old. So here I am talking about buying a camper and a bigger vehicle, and I really don't know what it's like to go camping. <laughs> but there's a big part of me who's like, I think it's a really good idea. So uh, this is actually a, a, a legitimate question is how do we identify as, aspirational spending versus something that is a good decision for ourselves or family? Because I, I 100% agree with you with this aspirational spending, uh, and I'm guilty of it. I think many people are. But in this given state, I don't know how to make my decision. <laughs> you know, for me, it is, um, I've had to adopt an attitude of have I reached the absolute limit of what I can do with what I have? Mm. Um, am I at the limit? Mm-hmm. You know, and therefore I need this thing. Mm-hmm. That's how I sort of distinguish. Right. You know, like, is there something that I can do to get this journey started mm-hmm. for free? Mm-hmm. You know, like, like, how can I get this started? And see, you know, and then I just put that thing that I want to buy or that program or whatever as a carrot for myself. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's like, okay, let's go camping four times. That involves finding the time, you know, making it Mm -hmm. work, sticking to it, regardless of whether the weather is terrible. Like let's, you know, let's do this this summer. Let's, and then see, Mm-hmm. You know, say, see how we like it and make a decision then. But let's commit to doing, you know, if, if that. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. And then like my financial planning brain coupled with like a cognitive bias, bias of rationalizations like, wait, but if I have to spend this much to rent, this much to then rent a truck to pull it, 
what happens if I just find used ones and I buy them? <laughs> Is it better use of my money? And um, yeah, that's the word your, your brain goes crazy. But what I think that having the tool of the aspirational spending and when I was reading this on your your uh, your site or your blog, I was like, this applies to me. But what I think it's really good at is it, it's given me a tool to actually think about it. And it almost creates like a, a waiting period, so to speak. And um, personally, I'm saying this because I found it very beneficial. So thanks for the blog post is that I've been thinking about it. And like now I'm actually making a deliberate decision as opposed to letting my monkey brain be like, oh, yeah, this is a good idea. It makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, your financial brain, you can just tell your financial brain, well, we'll just add the cost of the rentals into the real cost of the total thing later on. And just remember that that was my total cost. Mm-hmm. And that's okay, because it's not going to bring up your total cost that much. Yeah. So that's when, you know, that's when the technical side and the yeah, yeah, yeah. emotional side mesh, mm-hmm. right? You'll be like, oh, well, I could get this for like, you know, the vehicle and the trailer for like, It'll only cost me like 8000 and then over the course of blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but you're only going to spend six over the summer, 600 mm-hmm. Right? So then it becomes 8600 over the course of how many. It doesn't yeah. really that much. Yeah. No, I never thought about it that way. Yeah. So I, I really like this aspirational spending. Do you have any other um, suggestions around how to use it as a tool? Because I think that's the best thing is it's doing for us is there's a pause. It's not just that reaction. So you talked about waiting, putting a um, like a, a picture up or whatever you want to put. Anything else that you found has worked? No, that's pretty much it. That's pretty I much it. Yeah. I think it's it's the pause button. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's the pause button and just reframing of how far can you get with what you have. Yeah. Use what you have to the absolute limit until it can't until it is legitimately it no longer suffices. Mm-hmm. And and for me that is really huge because of course my money scripts lead me to want to have the best of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know that's really helpful for me. Is is this good enough for my needs right now? Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's been a you know like can I meet my needs with this? Is this good enough? Like yeah. you don't like I have to come to the realization I don't need quality for everything. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's another just simple thing. Is this good enough? Because we can all be trapped by I need the best or I'm a, a, I want good quality so it lasts a long time. But whew, things add up if we're always buying the best of everything. When you talk about uh, have I taken this to, have I gotten everything I can out of it? it? It made me think of one of the last or second last time my wife and I went camping. We slept in the back of my Toyota RAV4, which I still have, which is pretty small. And I'm thinking, I don't know if it's possible with a four-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old now. <laughs> so, so I'm thinking for me to do. But, uh, so I appreciate that on the aspirational spending. I think that's a great tool that uh, I certainly will use and a lot of other people. And it's, it just goes back to like cognitive biases, which are the biases that our brains have to make basically emotional-driven decisions. And uh, I think Benjamin Graham has a quote that talks about just investing, but he talks about the the investor's chief problem and even his enemy is likely to be himself. I think any sort of little trick like this just tries to go against our brain and a workaround to go against that monkey brain decision. So thanks for bringing that up. The other thing that just came to me that I often think about, but again, it's in my head, so I forgot to mention it, is um, the idea once I understood what the opportunity costs. Mm-hmm. Was, is that is a really helpful 
Yeah. So maybe describe that for people who they might've heard this idea of opportunity cost and like, oh yeah, I know what it is, but really maybe we don't. So it's, it's really like when you're spending on something, right? The, the opportunity cost is what that money could have done elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And for me, like what helps me is not just what that money could do if invested. It is also what that money could do as far as other stuff that I want to do with it. Right. You know, so it's like, it's like short and medium term me, mm-hmm. right? So there's immediate me mm-hmm. who needs the control, the, the boundaries, but then there's short and medium term and then there's long term me, mm-hmm. you know, so the automatic savings addresses long term me, but then short and medium term me always get the short end of the stick, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> when immediate me, gets uh, gets a little carried away. And so the opportunity cost, you know, um, my husband and I had to buy a mattress mm-hmm. because it was, we had reached the end of what we were yeah. <laughs> you know? So I had to buy a mattress or see my chiropractor every second. <laughs> and uh, of course, you know, the mattress salesperson is doing what they love to do. Oh, well, you know, you spend a third of your life in your bed. Yeah. And like, did you know that in Europe, they only were, you know, they, it's kind of last blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know what? I'm okay with it only lasting 10 years yeah. because I would rather have the difference. Like the opportunity cost of that extra thousand uh-huh. dollars is too high. I, I'll, I'll just keep it mm-hmm. and, you know, get what I can out of this mattress because right. I'd rather have the use of that money. Yeah. I, I, I think I really like that idea because that's a, a real thing. And, and I like how you specifically point out, it's not always about the investing because sometimes number driven and the, uh, I guess the financial plan will speak to the, to the numbers. They're not going to say, Hey, you get an extra thousand dollars now to spend on things that make your soul and life feel good. That's a good decision. No, the, the financial plan doesn't recognize that. So I often talk about a financial why, or some people have called it a money purpose for the families. Do you and your family with the four children have something that you use as like a, a lens to make those short and medium decisions on where you want to spend your hard-earned money on? Yeah, I mean, my husband and I have, um, well, this is part of, part of our money journey is actually being able to speak about these uh, short and medium term visions for our family. Mm-hmm. Like we call it a family vision. Oh, okay. Great. Um, yeah. You know, and it's fairly comprehensive. So it's not just uh, how we want to spend, but it's how we want to raise our children and what our trade-offs are going to be. And, you know, what kind of ambiance we want to create in the household mm-hmm. for the kids, you know, like what we want to demonstrate for them. Right. Oh, so, so like, it's more of an, all-encompassing yeah, thing. Yeah. It's sort of, there is definitely a money piece of it because it's not just what we want to spend, but also what we're prepared to give up so that we can earn less, but stay more connected and be with mm-hmm. them. But, you know, there are some trade-offs that we've made. Yeah. I think that's fantastic to have that family vision. And like, I, I, I yeah, I really, financial planning has a lot to do with non- money things or or money life has so many factors that are not financial related. But the fact is money is needed to do quite a few of the things that are important. And you, you are talked about one that I think is a really good decision that is probably on many people's minds right now as they're working less hours, being in uh, isolation is earn less so that you can be with your kids. I think you were alluding to. 
or, or need less. And need less. Just, let, yeah. let, me, let me rephrase that. That was a really poor way of phrasing it, but need less. Need less, yeah. yeah. And I think it's good because rationally we, we know that Oh, if I if I need less, I can earn less and spend less with my or more time with my kids. But like we don't do that. It's just like so many other things. So how how does that look for you guys? That part of your money vision, specifically like around time with your children, time with the family. How do you make financial decisions based on do I want to be with my family? Well, there are certain things, you know, like a, so the kinds of vacations that we take mm-hmm. are not luxurious, you know, the kinds of things that we say yes to or no to. Um, and this has been a learning process. Um, so by child number four, you kind of learn that, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the, the tail end of things when they're older can get pretty expensive. But, you know, at that point, they're quite accomplished in what they're wanting to do. And at the early end of things, it's, you know, just, you know, like some toys in the backyard is fine. Mm-hmm. You know, so... Um, uh, some other things are that, um, you know, so it's time together. It's meals at home. You know, we play a lot of board games together as a family. Sometimes mm-hmm. we'll invite other families over to just widen our community of people that we hang out with. We don't eat out very much ever. Um, we do for special occasions. So, you know, very much like eating out is like, oh, it's someone's birthday. Yeah. You know, so like they, it's, it's, not, it's not something that we do routinely, mm-hmm. even though like, I'm not much of a cook, to be honest. <laughs> they All four of them just fend for themselves. They... No, but they've gotten accustomed to eating the same five or six dishes. <laughs> <laughs> you, I bet you've mastered those ones. Oh, thank goodness. You know, so, so those are some of the trade-offs mm-hmm. um, that we have made. You know, we don't drive flashy vehicles. Uh, you may have read my blog post about the Beast. The Beast is still going strong oh. a year and a half later. Yeah. Uh, what year? 2006. 2006. Wow. 2006. Hey, it takes you to point A to point B. So that's the important thing. It does. It does. And I just can't bear the thought of getting rid of a perfectly good vehicle that is still so reliable. Yeah. So that's where I, I'm, I'm really interested in this opportunity cost beyond like the investment interest between two investments is like, what is the cost of playing board games with your neighbors, spending time with your children in the backyard, playing with those toys, and even eating dinner with your family all the time. There is no number to that. And that's what I think it's really neat encompassed in your family vision is these conscious decisions that you're making. Because these are the things for me as a family guy that are really important, spending time with my family, being around my neighbors and uh, individuals that we enjoy to be around. Because the end of my life, I'm not going to really look back and saying, ah, I wish I worked extra long. Or I wish I saved a little bit more. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. But I think that's a really good thing for many people and family or individuals or families start thinking about these, what non-financial really opportunity cost am I doing? And does it align with what I want. And so that, that brings me to one of my last questions. And I just got three standard ones to ask everyone is, do you have, do you and your husband or your spouse, or do you guys talk about the money values that the the family has so that you guys are congruent in your spending? Because we talked a lot about your money relationship, your money script, but your, your spouse is a human as well, and they would have their own. So what would the process look like of integrating those two? 
It's messy. <laughs> I saw you. <laughs> um, you know, it's challenging. So in my case, my husband and I, like, if you just superficially, we are so different. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like, I could not think of someone that on the surface seems more different. If you, if you scratch the surface a little bit more, we are surprisingly aligned, mm-hmm. you know, for two, mm-hmm. for two people who seem so different. Like, we, like our interests are different, like our strengths are, like, we're just really different. So the process of integrating those values was challenging because those superficial differences can be distracting. Right. They're just a red herring. Mm-hmm. You know, our family of origins were different and growing up, like we had different value systems that were modeled that we were bringing into the relationship. Ultimately, what we want, though, is very similar. I've had to work a lot on my communication. Mm-hmm. I've been told I'm quite articulate. However, there's a big difference between being articulate and being an effective communicator. Mm-hmm. And that's something that um, I've had to really work on. Have to learn to listen. Mm-hmm. The most difficult thing ever, hey? <laughs> it is really I hard. Speak from experience. <laughs> it is really hard. And that has been um, getting those values in alignment is about listening, you know, and just really listening from, you know, a place of wanting to connect and wanting to understand and wanting to get on the same page and wanting to honor what's important to him. You know, and and there are some things that are important to him that are not important to me and vice versa. And so for us, it has become a question of when, not if, you know, so if there's something that is important to him, Mm -hmm. it's on the table, Mm -hmm. right? We just have to figure out when or how. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, you said a lot of, I think, valuable things when we look at couples and money is the communication, the, the listening. But just, I think that last point, and I know this is challenging for many people, is to just honor what's important to them, even though it's probably not important to you. And then our that crazy brain of ours is like, well, why would you think that's important? Yeah. But I mean, yeah, that's on the other end, we don't want the, our spouse saying that to us. Yeah. But you put money into the mix and we act irrationally. <laughs> so are there things that you guys have done to take the time to to, in your words, get on the same page? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we do, you know, we do exercises to connect, you know, written exercises. It goes along with it. And it's been a very important part of our process because it eliminates any possibility for interrupting the other person, right? You have to read what they've written. Um, it gives us a chance to process. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm a big believer in writing. So we do connection exercises and it brings us back to the values and Mm -hmm. sometimes the things that we thought were important that involve money don't show up Mm. at all, Mm -hmm. you know, because Mm -hmm. sometimes in the process of those exercises, it brings us right back to what's really important Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what really matters to us. And, you know, we get to refocus and recalibrate. This is what matters. This is what makes us happy. Mm -hmm. You know, when we are our happiest, when we are, you know, like when we think and write about our favorite memories, like usually they're very similar. Oh, yeah. You know, like, like when we think about like those, those special, magical, sparkly times as a family where the six of us were just really grooving and connecting and, you know, we're both feeling it, you know. So when we reflect on those times and think, okay, we want more of this, 
mm-hmm. you know, sometimes that's all actually, that's when some of the other like things, stuff falls away and we sort of yeah. refocus. Wow. That's great. How often do you guys um, do these exercises or conversations? Often <laughs> Once a month. Well, ah, that's would be, that's my ideal. We don't yeah. always, we don't always. Um, so it's more, um, we'll go through cycles. Yeah. You know, where we're consistent and we do it. And then other times it's like, oh, what's on Netflix? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, sometimes you just need that. So thank you. We're coming to the end of our time here, but thank you so much for um, yeah, having these conversations. I mean, you're a financial planner and f- mostly financial planners want to talk about the markets and how good they I- invest their clients money. But like I I really appreciate this conversation because this is everything that's underlying that, that is required to build our foundation, to enjoy our family vision or enjoy the things that we have in life. And I think far too often this is our missed. So thank you very much for that. I do have three questions. They're kind of quicker answer questions for you. The first one is, so my podcast is called the most hated F word because uh, people tend to avoid finances. And the research shows that 42% of Canadians rank money as top stress in their life. What do you think your top F word in the finance, personal finance industry is? And, and it doesn't have to be an F word, but like the thing that you uh, dislike the most that you feel help causes finances continually, continuously be a top stressor in Canada. Like Canadians report finances top stress in their life. What do you think is continuously happening to reinforce that? For me, I'll give you an example. For me, I think it's the notion that all you need is information and you should just pull up your bootstraps and figure this out. Get Read this yeah. book and you should be financially wealthy. I, yeah. I don't like the notion that you could read this book and fix it and no problem. Something's wrong with you if you, if you can't fix it. And everybody else because it's happening to all of us. Yeah. So that, that's for me. Yeah, that's a good one. I would say the idea of self-care, which is something that I believe in that I think is very important, is necessarily something that one has to spend money on. Mm, okay, perfect. Great. If you could recommend one book that you've read that has shifted your perspective around money, your relationship to money, or just has a profound effect even on your family vision that you spoke of? I can't pick one. You know, I'm, you know, I'm sure, you know, you've read Mind Over Money because you're studying it yeah, yeah. with the courses. It's out of print. I'm so upset. Oh, anyway. yeah. <laughs> There's actually a book. It's called Nonviolent Communication. Okay. Artist by uh, Marshall Rosenberg. Mm-hmm. So that was really huge in helping me develop my emotional vocabulary. Mm, okay. You said mind-body communication? No, no. Nonviolent communication. Oh, nonviolent. Okay. I think if I had read Marcus Aurelius's meditations mm-hmm. when I was younger, you know, I might have become self-aware mm-hmm. much earlier. Right. Yeah, definitely some good learnings in that one. Yeah. Okay, so last one. Imagine that you're writing a like a legacy letter to your great-grandchildren and you had to include your top lesson that you learned about money and your relationship with money what would that lesson be that you'd like to pass on to your great-grandchildren? My lesson would be keep your word, draw healthy boundaries, and know that um, there are three yous that need to be taken care of. There's immediate you, Mm. 
near future you and far future you. And they're all real and they all matter. And you can't favor one to the detriment of the others. Fantastic. I, I like your three use. That's the second time you brought that up because we often have this empathy gap where we can't understand who the future version of ourselves are. And I think it's an easier way of doing that. Well, Natasha, thank you so much for being on the podcast. If anyone was interested in hearing more about the work you do or your blog, is there anywhere they can find you to, if they want to read that aspirational spending blog post? Yeah, um, you can uh, find me at paxplanning.ca. P-A-X, it's Latin for peace. Sometimes people hear me say tax planning and that's not it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I promise to start writing some more blog posts. I'm really... I have many, many unfinished blog posts that are in different stages of readiness. So hopefully I'll write something, publish something soon. All right. Well, thank you so much. And yeah, that's PAX Planning, P-A-X. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed our conversation and uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch. Thank you for tuning in to the Most Hated Effort Podcast. If you're enjoying the content, a review on iTunes. I greatly appreciate it. Well, now it's time for me to get the F out of here.